Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I am joined tonight by my co-editor, Lance Hartzler, and by our social media editor, Hannah Butler. It has been probably about a month at this point since we last recorded one of these. Uh, You know, just normal things getting in the way. Christmas, New Year's, attempted coup in the United States, just, you know, run-of-the-mill stuff. Uh, But we are back, and we do have a lot to talk about. Conference play uh, is well underway at this point. And, you know, some things haven't changed since we last spoke. Gonzaga's still undefeated. Uh, Northern Iowa, sorry, Hannah, still terrible. Uh, you know, just some of the usual stuff. Um, where I did want to start today is we have a handful of teams at this point that have played um, a few games and still have not lost. And uh, we'll, we won't count Alabama A&M. They've only played twice. Good for them. They won them both. Uh, but the teams I wanted to focus on here, at least to start, would be uh, Gonzaga, Drake, Winthrop, Siena, uh, the Citadel, and I don't think I missed one, did I? No, those are the teams. Um, so I, th- I think what I'll do is just, kind of throw you guys a, a question about each one of them. We could kind of discuss it. We'll, we'll start with the easiest one. Gonzaga 12 and 0 ranked number one in the nation, ranked number one in Ken Palm, number one in offensive efficiency, uh, blowing the doors off of teams in their conference. Is Gonzaga going to end the regular season undefeated? I think that is a definite yes. Even though the West Coast Conference is pretty loaded, even though BYU, even though St. Mary's, even shoot, Pepperdine can give them a run for money. This team has only had one quote-unquote close game against West Virginia. They kind of mm-hmm. beat the Sox out of Iowa, in my opinion. 99-88, I thought it was not as close as even that box score would show. And they beat the snot out of Virginia, which is just cathartic to me, that happening. <laughs> Same. <laughs> So this team, they're just blowing everyone out of the water. They're the favorites by multiple touchdowns per game, it feels like. You know, I feel like I could, I could kind of, I, yeah, I feel like I could definitely see them going undefeated. I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but kind of those teams you mentioned in their conference, like the St. Mary's, the Pepperdines that could sneak in there. If they have a lights out night and Gonzaga's just not on, obviously we've seen crazier things happen. So I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't either. Yeah, I think either they will or they will not go undefeated. I I would say that for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing about this Gonzaga team, and we've seen that Mark Fuse had great teams before. He's had teams that have rolled through the West Coast Conference unbeaten before. He has not had one that has been so consistently awesome. And so fun to watch. I mean, they have played 12 games and their 85 to 62 win over San Francisco on the second. That was the fewest points they scored in the game this year. 85. Uh, They are top 10 in the country in tempo. Number one in offensive efficiency. Number two in effective field goal percentage. Like, yeah, they're a well above average defensive team too. But like, this is the best offensive unit in the country, and they have four reliable offensive weapons. I mean, like, Joel Aie is, like, their fourth best player, and he is, like, a reasonable All-American pick, it, it seems like. Like, th- this team is stupid, 
stupid deep. And I don't think any team in the West Coast Conference is going to challenge them this year. And I don't think they're going to get a real challenge maybe until a potential Elite Eight game. I'm looking at last year's numbers from last year's Gonzaga team, a team we all, a lot of people thought was going to run the table, go to the national championship game. They had three close games, including a loss in the non-conference schedule, 12 games in. They had a four point loss to U of A close loss to Washington. They lost them or a close win against Washington. They lost to Michigan and an OT win against a good Oregon team. We thought last year's team was loaded. This year's team is blowing that team out of the water. I think once, the Baylor game got canceled. I think that was the last team that could even threaten Gonzaga. And I mean, you even look at, um, at, at the numbers here, like Gonzaga and Baylor are so close one and two in Ken Palm in adjusted efficiency. And then there is a four point gap between them and number three, Iowa. Again, Iowa a team that Gonzaga beat by double digits in a game that was not even as close as the score indicated. So Gonzaga, I I think is going undefeated. Lance, you think is going undefeated. Hannah, the the bold stance of might or might not go undefeated. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, move on to the Missouri Valley Conference. We have Drake, thirteen and zero, uh, number fifty eight in Ken Palm. Which, by the way, they started at one fifty eight, so that is a one hundred point improvement. That's awesome. They're four and zero in the Missouri Valley Conference. Though we should note. They have yet to play um, who I think are the best two teams in that conference, uh, Loyola Chicago and Bradley. Their games against Loyola were uh, postponed. Their series against Northern Iowa also postponed. This is a Drake team that, like Gonzaga, one of the better offenses in the country. They lead the nation in three-point shooting. A lot of different weapons offensively uh what do you guys make of drake and do you think they are the best team in the missouri valley okay so here's my thoughts on drake is uh first of all i will say i was kind of surprised to see them really doing this well this year i mean obviously they upset you and i last year in the opening round of arch madness uh i a lot of people including myself kind of thought that was more of a fluke especially this year they lost Liam Robbins, who was one of their big stars. Uh, I believe his uncle was a, uh, he's on the coaching staff at Minnesota. So he moved up to the big 10 this year. So I really wasn't expecting a whole lot from Drake, um, but they've obviously been pretty consistent, done pretty well. I do not think they're the best team in the Valley. I do not think they're going to go undefeated. If you look at who they've played so far, even in conference play, I believe it's been teams like Valpo that tend to be more on the lower half of the conference. And like you said, Russ, uh, their series against Loyola got postponed. Their series against Missouri State got postponed. Bradley and you and I are now yet to come. And as much as you and I isn't a particularly strong team, I know the rivalry games between them sometimes can go either way, no matter how good each team is. Sure. Um, so I think really the real test for them is yet to come. If they can sweep Loyola or Bradley, I would be – a lot more confident in them really asserting a spot as the best team in the Valley, but I just don't see it happening. I kind of agree with Hannah to a point. I think Drake is a dangerous team because I mean, they're number one in three point shooting efficiency at 43.5%. That's an obscene number. 
And they're also underratedly 18th in two-point field goal percentage at 57%. This team just doesn't miss. They don't play super fast. They don't take a ton of threes. I think they're only 298 in Ken Palm in three-point field goal attempts combined with field goal attempts. So not a ton of shots. But the most impressive part about this team is they guard the three ball well. Like teams are shooting 29.7% against them from deep. That's just ridiculous. Eventually, a good team like Bradley and, Lo- and Loyola will get them there. And I think that's exactly where they lose. They, if that Loyola game gets rescheduled, I'm kind of fuzzy if it is supposed to be or if not. I think they would lose that game. I think they do lose one of the games to Bradley at the end of the year on February 26th and 27th. So Ken Palm thinks there's about 13% chance they go undefeated. I think that's lower, like maybe five. That's fair. Um, you bring up a good point about the pace that they play. Now, to be fair, when you never miss, like you don't have to play fast. Because you're just making all your shots anyway. Um, But this is a team that plays very low possession games, like routinely in the 60s. And as we saw, you know, really with the exception of their national championship year, um, Virginia playing the way that it plays is kind of prone to weird scares or upsets at times. Like you'll, like UMBC aside, like during ACC season, you'll always see like, Boston College or, or Miami, like playing them close for three quarters of a game because they just haven't been able to get that separation, you know, if they're not shooting the ball exceptionally well. So that, you know, could make Drake maybe a little bit more susceptible. But hey, it's the way that they play and it's the way that works for them. And, you know, also shout out to Darian uh, Devries for building what he has at Drake. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that that program was really in a lot of trouble um really uh before nico medved spent his one year there i mean they went seven and 24 yep uh, medved did well and now um devries has won 20 games each of his first two seasons and well on his way to another 20 win year this year yeah, you're right i mean they had three straight seasons of sub 10 wins nine seven and seven before 20 20- 17 2018 so like this team was in the gutter for a good chunk of years and they've been pulled out this is really fun to watch but i do think i agree with you that virginia style of slow-paced basketball is very susceptible to weird upsets now going to change things up a little bit here we're going to talk about winthrop next and if you want to learn about uh about the eagles and what makes them go subscribe to basketball joe our buddy Chris Schutte's newsletter. He uh, covered them this week. Read all about them. The uh, fastest team in the country, ranking number one in the nation in tempo, unbeaten at 11-0. and 0. They own a win over Furman. Here's my question, because Ken Palm gives them a 19% chance to go undefeated. They are favored in every game they have from here on out, and like by a good amount. The Big South is not a good conference, particularly this year but Winthrop is a good team. My question is what happens if Winthrop goes undefeated? Where, where are they seated in a normal year where everybody plays a full schedule? If a team goes undefeated, there is an expectation that they will be a number one seed. Uh, And that, and that is no matter what conference you are in. Uh, And really it only happens to teams that are either deserving of the number one seed, or you could at least make the argument for the interesting thing here 
is that because Winthrop will have played at the most uh, 23 regular season games instead of the normal 30 or 31, and all of those games not played are non-conference games that they would be more likely to lose, what on earth are you going to do with this team? And I really don't know the answer. They're not, they wouldn't get a one seed. I, I know that, uh, but I don't know where you put them. So I think the biggest question, how much do you value that Furman win? Is that worth potentially putting Winthrop as a top five or a top four seed if you're the selection committee? Yeah, that's, you know, that's tough because I also don't think Furman is that great. Yeah, I think they've, they're, they're Mm -hmm. fine, but every chance they've had for a good win, they've lost. And that Chattanooga win does not look nearly as good as it, uh, as it did at the time. No. I think Winthrop would struggle to get a five seed, but they'd be dangerous. I think no matter where they, where they get seeded, there will be dangerous. I'm a sucker for fast-paced teams, and the way Winthrop plays is just fun as hell. So I'd be the dumb person to pick them to go to the Elite Eight or something. I feel like it would definitely put this selection committee in a weird spot. I, I would see them maybe in a normal season, if that's what happened, I would say maybe at, at best maybe a five seed, just because when it comes down to it, a uh, perfect season is great, but there's also like you have to look at the actual strength of said wins. Um, and it's just the conference, the conference play itself is just it just wouldn't be enough to kind of sustain a really high seed, in my opinion. And to your point, Hannah, Ken Palm has them ranked 311th in strength of schedule. It is a negative 6.37. That's low as hell. Oh, my goodness. And it's yeah, not even really true. their fault. Like they played three non conference games. Right. And they can't control their conference. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. It might end up being a good test case for exactly how heavily the selection committee relies on the net. Winthrop mm-hmm. right now is ranked 50th. You have to imagine, obviously, if they win out, they'll move up. You wonder, is their seating going to be closer to where their net ranking would have them? Uh, 50th, if you just went by the net, would put them in like the 12 seed range. They would obviously be higher than that because they would move up. Um, I I know you both said, you know, maybe a five seed. I think that's even still too high. Like, I don't know if they would be able to get above a seven, maybe a six seed. And it would ultimately come down so much to strength of schedule, which is a shame. Because that's not their fault. Um, And, you know, maybe you do have to really look at the computer numbers a lot more. But even Winthrop's computer numbers don't suggest that they are a top 30 team in the country. Right. And I don't think they would, um, even if you add, you know, another 12 wins or whatever it would be to their resume. I think the only way in a normal year, quote unquote, is their non-conference had to been loaded. They had to upset some really big yeah. kind of blue bloods. It would have to be one of those type of years. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, that's the thing. I don't even know if they would have had to beat blue bloods. Like if this was a normal season and say Winthrop where they are, let's say they beat like South Carolina, Davidson and NC state, like, that's at least some substance there. Yeah. You know, like maybe that wouldn't get them all the way up to the one line, but I think you could make a good argument at that point for them being like a four or a five seed, but we're not going to have that. 
and you know wins over Little Rock and Greensboro look good to us because uh, we know those are quality teams. I know Greensboro struggled, um, but it's not going to resonate with the committee. And also, uh, another thing is we're going to get to see how much they value the eye test as well. How much do they like watching Winthrop? How good do they look uh, to the committee? That'll be another question. So we have talked about three unbeatens. We're going to talk about two more. We're going to dive a little bit further into some other stuff going on around the country. Uh, First, we'll step aside for a quick break. And we're back here on the Mid-Major Madness podcast. Russ Steinberg, Lance Hartzler, Hannah Butler, talking about the unbeatens in the Mid-Major college basketball world. We talked about Gonzaga, Drake, and Winthrop. Next team I want to discuss out of the MAC, it is Siena. It's a team that doesn't maybe get the recognition um, that it always deserves, particularly by our site. They've only played four games, all in conference. They're playing conference-only schedule. They are 4-0. and Interesting thing about this team, if you go back um, to last season, they won their final 10 games. And they have won their first four this year. So combined this year and last year, that is 14 wins in a row. My question is, does that streak get to 25 before they lose? And I'll, I'll help you out. I'll read what their next 11 games would be. It would be two against Ryder, two against St. Peter's, two against Niagara, two against Iona, Canisius, two against Manhattan. I think of all the teams we've talked about, this is the weirdest one because it is just conference play. So it wouldn't shock me that they would just ride out conference play as quintessentially the best team in the conference. St. Peter's is probably their toughest competition. If they beat both of St. Peter's, I think Sienna does go undefeated. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at, too, is St. Peter's definitely kind of looks the best to me out of that group. I don't I'm not as familiar with the conference, so I guess you have to take that with a grain of salt. But I think that if they really kind of ended with that momentum last year and they were able to pick it back up again, obviously, like last year ended super weird for everybody. And they just kind of hopped right back into conference play and started going this year. Like, I think that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, I agree with that. Sienna does have maybe two of the best players in the conference, senior Manny Camper and junior Jalen Pickett. Pickett, someone who has been uh, making headlines since his freshman year, one of the best freshmen in the country in 2019, um, did not play uh, in that second game against Fairfield. Should note that Sienna won it anyway, 75-68. But it's, it's a... A, a team with a lot of talent on it for the conference that they're in. Uh, for what it's worth, they are projected to win each of their remaining games, although overall Ken Palm does project they'll lose four times. Uh, they are not, at least by the numbers, and again, there aren't a lot of numbers out for them yet. They're not head and shoulders above every other team in this conference. Uh, St. Peter's, like you guys said, is probably their closest competition. Um, Iona still a bit of a question mark as well. They kind of got off to a rough start, but they are three and one in the conference swept rider split with Fairfield. Uh, they're a team worth looking out for. And of course, led by the legendary coach, Rick Pitino. Uh, so, you know, maybe watch out for them as well, but 
yeah, are, are we kind of in wait and see mode here with Sienna? Yeah, I think yeah. so. They're, kind of, they're tough to gauge. Just four games, that's hard. Yeah. Uh, now, maybe, maybe the most interesting team, uh, the Citadel. Yeah. 8-0. <laughs> oh. um, only one of those wins against a team you could even argue is halfway decent, Chattanooga. Uh, beat them 92 to 87 uh, on Saturday. They will play Furman Wednesday night. So we're going to have to try to get this podcast out the door before then. Um, but four of their wins are against non D ones. Three of them are against sub 300 Ken Palm teams. Um, I, I tweeted this out right before we started recording because it fascinated me. They have won every game they've played and they are projected to lose each of their remaining games. Uh, it's just wild to me. 306 in Ken Palm. Um, my question is simple. Is is the Citadel worth watching at, at this point? Are they worth paying attention to? Or do they even have to prove that they're a contender in their own conference? I feel like this far is... I want to say it's a little fluky. But at the same time, when you had the kind of record they did last year, I really want them to do well. So I think it's kind of a fluke. Um, I'm hoping I am proved wrong though, and that they really are worth the watch. <laughs> so I think with the with how fast this team plays, they are by de facto worth a watch. <laughs> they're one of those really. That they're also they're always worth a watch. They're they're a glass cannon, man. Their defense efficiency yeah. sucks, <laughs> and that's why I think oh they're going to lose a lot of games. Hey, they just have to outscore the competition, though. Just keep getting buckets. Who needs defense when you just outscore him? That's what I say. That would be my philosophy if I were a head coach. Honestly, yeah. We're going to run and gun. Just make your shots and we'll be okay. Just go score all the points. Mm -hmm. You you beat basketball teams by scoring more points, so why guard them? But yeah, in realness, I think they do lose to Furman on Wednesday. I don't see any imagination outside of just a wild, wild result that they lose that game. Or that they that Citadel wins that game. I would love to see it though. That would be so much fun. And also, I Furman really has not impressed me. I don't know. They they've got guys like they they have the players um, that have brought them so much success in years past. Noah Gurley and Clay Mounts are still there. Mike Bothwell uh, there as well. But. Uh, have haven't exactly gotten it done. So maybe if if the Citadel could beat them, I will gain so much respect for them. That'd be the most chaotic outcome, and I am here for it. Oh, absolutely! I do, yeah, I do no, love a chaotic outcome of a game. So I would love that. So those are the nation's undefeated teams. Um, we'll switch gears and talk about a team that has been defeated a lot, or three times, I should say. Um, the Dayton Flyers, they're six and three, um, might not sound too bad, especially considering they have two wins against SEC schools, Mississippi state and Ole Miss, but two losses in their last four games to LaSalle and to Fordham. That's not good. They lost Chase Johnson, left the program. Rodney Chapman got hurt and will be out for about two months. Um, Flyers are in a lot of trouble. Yeah, so I think they've. I think Dayton is in a world of hurt coming up. They only have, they have Decane and George Washington mm-hmm. coming up. 
then VCU St. Louis, Rhode Island. That's a murderer's row of games from January 23rd to January 30th. That's a week. That sounds awful. That's when we'll really know if this team weathered a lot of these woes or if they are kind of just going to go belly up. And and on top of that, not having uh, two key pieces to your rotation is going to be a big issue because in their game against Davidson, an overtime win on Friday, Jalen Crutcher played 44 out of 45 minutes. E.B. Watson played 43 minutes. Elijah Weaver played 36 minutes. Um, it's necessary. Those are all good players. I get it. Um, but the, I'm not sure how sustainable that is uh, when you're running off and playing, you know, three, four games in a week. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really going to be one of the problems is that that sustainability. Crutcher is he's kind of an injury prone right now because of how much he's playing. They got to be careful with those minutes. He's played 44, 38, 40, 40, 38, 50 going back to December 12th. Dude has not left the floor because of these long OT games and just because they need him out there. So eventually with him being playing 98% of the minutes, that's a lot of injury risk and this team cannot weather another one. I really think that I, I mean, I, I don't think Dayton's going to be anywhere near as dominant as they were last year, especially given the especially given the A10, the state of the A10 right now, like you guys kind of mentioned. Um, but I think there's just too many good teams this year for them to really start off like they have and still make it kind of back to where they were. Plus, uh, Lance, like you just pointed out, really relying on a couple of key guys to put in crazy amounts of minutes. Like it's January right now. That's not a sustain. That's just not a sustainable way to play when you, you got to get all the way to March. So I really don't think we're going to see, I mean, I, I'm not saying Dayton's not a good team because they're definitely still a good team, but I, they're not going to be at the same level they were in my opinion. Yeah, and when you have a player like Jalen Crutcher, who is possibly the best player in the conference, one of the best guards in the country, I don't think there's a game on Dayton's schedule that they can't win. Um, But stringing together winning streaks is is going to be difficult without any sort of real depth. And in a conference that does go as deep as the Atlantic 10 does. I mean, St. Louis, Richmond, Rhode Island, St. Bonaventure, VCU, maybe Duquesne are all teams uh, that can beat you. And that's not even to mention UMass, who uh, their record doesn't indicate it, but they're like a borderline top 100 team as well. (laughs) What were we going to talk about next? Colorado State. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Northern Illinois or Colorado State. You say Northern Illinois? Iowa. I'm stupid. Words. Oh, Northern Iowa. I don't think we have to talk about Northern Iowa, do we? (laughs) (laughs) Every time I come on this podcast, we talk about something terrible that happened to you and I. Yeah. I guess we were going to talk about the weird lights thing. That's what we want to talk about. Yes, I forgot. We had two two really weird things happened in the last few days at the end of college basketball games. One of them was in the Louisiana Little Rock game where Louisiana and tell me if I didn't get this backwards because I probably did. Louisiana is coming down the court trying to tie the game and the lights go out. Um, So they don't score on that play and the game ends. And then Northern Iowa trying to tie the game, excuse me, in the closing seconds 
against Bradley last night and the clock doesn't start. I'm so upset. What the hell is going on with the people who run these arenas? I, yeah, okay. I have some questions about the whole clock thing because they had, it was so close. They had to look at this for a good 10 minutes. Uh, I think Bradley and you and I had been tied like 12 different times during the game and it would have tied it for overtime. So whoever didn't start that clock, why? What, what, why? That's all I could ask. What was the, <laughs> what was the reasoning behind this? Did you forget what happened? Yeah. Okay. What happened? So first, first thing, cause people are going to kill me for it. I did get it reversed. It was little rock drank tied against Louisiana. My bad. Um, here's the thing with the clock. Um, and I'm sure Hannah, you probably like measured this yourself and like obsessed over it and how much time it actually took. Um, oh, when they go to the monitor, oh, you have. Yeah. I definitely. Okay. So when they go to the monitor and actually measure this, they are doing it by the book. Like when the ball is touched, they start their stopwatch. Uh, and zero is when, you know, when the clock hits zero, the thing that's funny is if they had done this right, Northern Iowa probably gets another fraction of a second, maybe 0.3, because that is about what human reaction time is to when you start the clock. Like Northern Iowa would have gotten a little bit more time just out of the human element um, of this whole thing from when the ball is touched. Uh, so they still got screwed by going to the stopwatch. And see, I will say before people accuse me of being biased for my own team, if the roles would have okay been reversed, be and oh yeah, I fully admit my biases. But if the roles would have been reversed, and it would have been Bradley that hit the shot to tie it up and go to overtime, and they called it the same way, I still would I would have been not happy because like at the end of the day, I just want whoever wins, I want it to be a good game, and I feel like both you and I and Bradley, they were so close the whole game, like they both had some fight left in them. And I, w- I would have liked to see it. Obviously I would have liked to see you and I uh, pick up another win, but was not meant to be. So we remain You're a way better person than I am. four and eight. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> You're a better person than I am. Cause I absolutely <laughs> would not have wanted that if the roles were reversed. <laughs> um, and okay. So how about the lights going out as little rock was trying to tie the game here? Um, I've watched, obviously watched the replay a a bunch. It doesn't seem like it phases the players on the court too much. There's like a little hesitation. Um, they don't end up getting a shot up in time or it's not a good one. At least, um, my question is if you, if you are one of the refs, what do you do in that situation? Because as soon as the lights go off, if you whistle the clock or the, uh, the play dead, then you're making Little Rock inbound the ball with like two seconds left. And you're not putting them, you're putting them maybe in a worse position than if they had just played it out. See, and that's a good point because I didn't think about it from that aspect. I was, because I would like, just when I watched the video, I was just like, I don't, like they should have just stopped it. But at the same well, they should, time, they should have, if it like, it, it's complicated. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So now I'm thinking about that differently than I was. You're kind of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's no right answer. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think they would have had to. Well, I think they should have stopped play. But, it, yeah, you're not putting them in a great situation. And um, and also the, the lights came back on pretty quickly. So, like, if you're trying, if you're a ref and you're trying to figure out what to do and the lights come back on, you can't then blow your whistle. Like, you have to do it right away. And it, they they were off for like two seconds, so I I mean I I don't know that's that's why I wanted to throw it out to you guys like I'm I'm sure Little Rock has plays drawn up what to do you know inbounding the ball three seconds left in the half court uh, you know here's what we're gonna run they would have had something to do, um, but I don't know it, it it would also suck to just make them start over from that point and then even getting the ball inbounds is difficult. Uh, in a situation like that. Russ, I got a question for you. So if this happens to you as a coach and then you, it happens, it's done. Do you start practicing this scenario just in case? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That is a good question. I will say this. This was the first of two straight games at Louisiana. This was Friday in that scenario. Yes. Because you're playing in the same arena the next day. So I would have gone over something and shoot around the next day. Because if it happened there once, it could happen again. I don't think I would make it like a regular part of the playbook. Um, But I think I would have a plan if it happened down the stretch in the next game. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Yes. I think, honestly, that's what I would do too. Is the odds of you running into that scenario are a second time are tiny but if you're in the same arena same arena it's it's possible it's enough that i would want to take five minutes of practice and be like all right guys i'm gonna go flick the light switch a couple times while you try and run a play <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that's true i'm not sure how you practice that in like in you just have the gym you just have the ga go flip the lights on and off for a while <laughs> while you're practicing yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm surprised about is like every normal gym I've been in, it takes the lights like minutes to heat up and like actually turn on. It's not just right? like an on off switch. Like yeah, what happened that, that made the clicker like that? Yeah. Like and it wasn't a power surge because there was still a broadcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, I I was super confused about that as well, just from my own experience of um, like having to run lighting systems or whatever. So it's like I right, I get I guess like it you can't it out because on and off. Back on. Right. Who knows? <laughs> Some things we'll never know. Um. All right, now let's talk about Colorado State. Cool. <laughs> tell, tell me about the fight in Farouk Maneshes. I. I see. I already thought that was epic. Just that any team made a twenty-six point comeback, but the fact it was a Lee Farokmanesh's team to do it, I was like, "That's some beautiful kind of a Lee Farokmanesh nonsense that would yeah. absolutely happen." So, I loved great it. Great way to put it. Great work. It's fitting. Like this is one of my favorite teams in the country. I love it. They just chuck threes. They go in. This is the best start Colorado State has had to Mountain West Conference play ever. And that's including the year they went 26-9 and and freaking went to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Like, this is a good Colorado State team. And they obviously had that comeback in San Diego State. 
who knows if it's sustainable, but like it's worth talking about how dumb and fun this team has been. Yeah, honestly, no matter what else happens this season, the fact that they had a they came back from a 26 point deficit to beat San Diego State on the road, like that's magnificent. I love that. I want the best for them, but even if they lose every other game, I'm still so proud of Colorado State this season. Yeah, like I'm staring at Kempom right now, and the win probability just skyrockets at like the 6.7 or some super late into the game. There was like mm-hmm. zero chance they'd win. Kempom's just like, oh, oh, okay, they win out of nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> it it goes. And I, I wish Ken Palm would show you what the score of the game is at every individual point. But it goes mm-hmm. like 1. 1.7, 4.9, 6.7, 87.4. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a weird... I love win probability graphs. I love them. They're so, they're so dumb. <laughs> yeah. So... Lance, tell me a little bit about this Colorado State team. You're out west. You've probably had more of a chance to see I, them. I actually watched them beat the snot out of NAU. So, yeah. Yeah, so I watched them beat the snot out of Northern Arizona University. They beat them 91-52. It was like a one-point game at halftime or something. Then they obliterated Oof. NAU in the second half. Yeah. So this team is led by a pair of sophomores, actually. They're young. It's weird. They don't have a lot of upperclassmen. On Ken Palm, they have zero seniors. They're stupidly young one of the youngest in the country this kid isaiah stevens just he's a bucket he's 31 of 34 from the free throw line on the season 29 of 64 on two point shots 16 of 35 from three dude's a walking bucket and he's eighth in assist rate so he gets his teammates buckets he's been fun to watch he's six foot 180 like a little running back just blitzing through the defense him and his teammate, David Roddy, who's 6'5", 250, kind of doing a bit of everything for them. Literally rebounds, passes, hits threes. He's their Mr. Draymond Green type. They just win. This team has been, has offensively has been fun. Their defense hasn't been particularly great, but it's also been solid against some solid teams like San Diego State, like UNLV, which maybe not isn't solid, but they're competent. I'm really excited to see what this team does against Utah State and Boise State in the next two weeks. Yeah, well, first they have to play uh, San Jose State, and unfortunately, those games are at GCU Arena, not at like the the rec center where San Jose State hosted Boise uh, last week. Did you guys see that? Ability three sixty. I played basketball there. It's a it's it's as crappy as it looks. I love that that's just more wild. I guess it's not even 2020 nonsense. It's 2021 nonsense. But that's just, that's hilarious. Uh, I love it. So hold on, Lance. You've played basketball there before. Tell us about Ability360. (laughs) What's it like? It's a rec rec center, man. Like, it's not great. They got crummy lights. The guys that play there think they're D1 caliber basketball players when they're rec league dropouts. It's just what you would expect out of a run-of-the-mill rec center. (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) I I guess we'll we'll mention it um, just because it's happening uh, in the next couple of days. The WAC is going to officially announce uh, that it is – adding some new members um judging by the press release 
that was not at all subtle that they um, are having a uh, a press conference on Thursday with representatives from Abilene Christian, Lamar, Sam Houston State, Stephen F. Austin, and Southern Utah, I would uh, be willing to bet that that means that those schools are going to be added to the conference, as has been rumored and as has been discussed on this podcast before. Yeah, it's finally happening officially. The WAC is going to announce that it's adding FCS football. This has been rumored and heavily reported on by friend of the show, Matt Brown. He has been all over this since what feels like, I think, shoot, July, August. He was over one, he was on one of the news on it. I've myself, I've reported on some of it. Like it's, it's finally happening. It took a while, but like they're going to announce football. There's a new rumor that Grand Canyon University might be adding football that people from the That's Valley what it threw like. my way. Yeah, that threw me for a spin today. Well, Grand but, yeah. Canyon is also going to be represented at the, at this press conference. But so I would not be surprised if they are introduced as a football school. So I also thought that was surprising, but their president is actually on the president's council of the WAC. He's like up high with sure. it, so it makes sense that he'd mm-hmm. be there. But GCU adding football, okay. that could be a thing. I'd love to see them add football, honestly. Like I obviously, uh, you and I is FCS. So anytime we add more FCS schools, I think it, it, add, it adds a little spice to things. So I'd love to see that. Yeah. I hope that is true. Yeah, and I cover NAU FCS football for my normal job, and having an in-state rival with GCU would just be neat. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see what happens. We're going to be watching the press conference. We'll get the full. I'm sure we'll get all the information beforehand because that's how this works. It'll all leak, um, but <laughs> we'll know more soon enough. It'll be interesting. Um, it, it'll absolutely be a step up uh, in basketball for you know a school like Stephen F Austin who will have uh excuse me who will have like New Mexico State to compete with finally instead of nobody oh, and, and I guess you know Abilene Christian's decent too so they'll have uh New Mexico State Grand Canyon as well and Southern Utah has been good like they're actually an underrated yeah. basketball school they've been able to compete this year they're kind of at the top of the big sky right now so like that's going to be a big get with Southern Utah as well. Yeah, it's a good point. Southern Utah has been strong. Um, really, everyone but Chicago State has uh, has some potential in that conference. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Mid Major Madness podcast for Hannah Butler and Lance Hartzler. I'm Russ Steinberg. Just a reminder to go uh, subscribe, rate, review, do all of that crap. Uh, this podcast is available wherever it is you get your podcasts uh no one does any of this anyway but i feel like i have to say it um so you know maybe surprise me leave us leave us a review uh i'll check you know you never know um but i know you won't so it's fine uh we will talk to you next time until then enjoy the games